Joining me this week on the Friday Film Club is Will Guyett, who is a technology expert. Uh, you'll hear him on the radio. He's also a consultant and happens to be a massive film fan. So we had a great chat about all things 80s and, well, you'll hear the conversation. So give us a follow, listen to the podcast and remember to leave us a little review as well. Hope you enjoy. So, Will, uh, thanks so much for joining me in the Friday Film Club. It's good to have you here. Yeah, it's it's lovely. I, I'm just sort of thinking to myself, I, I love films. Films have been the thing I've chilled out with for 20 plus years of my life, and it's always nice to be asked about them, so glad to be here. Yeah, and of course, you're not uh, a film critic yourself. I mean, why don't you explain exactly what it is that, that you do? I'm not quite sure what I really do. I guess um, I'm, I'm a technology correspondent for global radio. So that's LBC, Capital, Heart, Radio X, Classic FM, loads of different stations. So I talk about technology there. I've also been really fortunate in having really understanding kind bosses there who um, knowing that being a technology correspondent there isn't going to fill up my day, daily life. So they let me work for other people too. So I work for uh, Radio 2. I do quite a lot of work with Jeremy Vine and the Jeremy Vine Show. I'm the person that crops up there trying to explain the world of technology in as simple a way as I can. And I do all sorts of stuff in other places. Um, I've been a journalist and a writer for 20 plus years. Um, I write and contribute to all kinds of places. And increasingly, I also work a bit behind the scenes as well. Some people would call it a spin doctor, but I work for uh, various people who have got interesting businesses and stuff using my journalistic experience. But um, I'm really lucky. I'm a guy who gets to play with gadgets and technology most of my days and uh, before I did this I used to play video games with my days so I've done all right to not have a real job or existence so far in life. <laughs> yeah not a bad job at all uh, so what what is the best gadget or, or bit of tech that you've you've had the sort of pleasure of, of, of using before anyone else? I think I was I was actually the first person in Europe to lose an Apple iPhone. Um, I managed to lose an Apple iPhone in the back of a London taxi before they came out um, in the UK. Um, Apple were not happy. The mobile phone network was frankly confused. That's the only time I have ever lost a mobile phone. And it was one that wasn't out and was being uh, being loaned to me. But that was, that, I think we forget and take for granted now how much of an actual game changer the iPhone was. Mm. It was so different to anything else at the time. And it just made using devices easier. And Google's Android software took a lot of leanings from Apple and, you know, Samsung have followed and phones have been transferred as a, as a result. But that, I think, and... Um, I was actually, I'm, I'm, a, I'm that old. I was around as a journalist when the DVD player came out. And for me, <laughs> that was a real game changer. Yes. And I find it really sad that we're in, we're, we're at a point now where uh, the, 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 the industry has evolved so much, quite naturally so, where everything's now streamable, that uh, DVDs themselves are becoming sort of collector's items. Well, I'm talking to you today from my studio office shed arcade. I'm not quite sure what it is, but on the other side of uh, from where I'm sat, I've got about 1,700 DVDs, Blu-rays and everything. Because for a long time in and around the places I worked, if I wasn't being sent the films, 
other people were mm. and I was always very keen to hoover stuff up when um, <laughs> no, nobody else took it so it's a really interesting thing in that I still buy quite a few if I buy anything I buy the ultra HD blu-rays because the quality the video quality I'm a real cinema nerd so I project I use a projector and I've got a nice big tv and all of that sort of stuff i really visual quality more than sound is something that i still that really engages me with film and there is still a discernible difference and i'm not one of these people that by the way subscribes to buying six grand connection leads and all of those sorts of things but i'm somebody that thinks there is a difference in visual quality between these ultra hd blu-ray discs and streaming services but the one thing I think because we haven't really got on to talking about film yet, but the industry sort of ground to a halt because of coronavirus. I have to say, I've been really interested in the way a lot of the big films are coming to streaming platforms kind of simultaneously with the cinema like Black Widow. And um, I, I, I have, via various legal means, I have access to a couple of the US streaming services and um, being able to see films like the day they come they come out. I, I actually, I quite like it, but I still love going to the cinema to the extent that just two weeks ago, I signed up to Cineworld's Unlimited because I'm going to try and make going to the cinema at least once a month an event. And if I can go once a month, at least I'm then not overspending on that subscription I've just bought. Yeah, and do you know what? I, I've been saying this for a while and I think the pandemic has probably sped this all up, but I think the cinema itself is becoming more of a, a kind of event experience like it used to be back, you know, way back in like the 50s and 60s because more often than not now, if, if people want to watch a film, they can via whatever streaming service that it's on. And I think that everything's really changed massively. And I think it's been on the cards for a while because streaming services have been around for a while, but I feel like COVID has, has, has just massively um, and irreparably changed the, uh, the film industry. Yeah, and technology's done a lot for that. And I can't mm. believe the first film I'm actually going to mention by name in the podcast is Poor Patrol, the movie. Um, <laughs> because my partner and I, have uh, my, my three-year-old daughter, Lola, is in love with the Paw Patrol. She's like their biggest fan. And I'm actually genuinely excited about taking her to the cinema. I'm sure within 15 minutes of that Saturday morning screening when some child has pulled, poured a fizzy drink in my lap and I've got popcorn on my head and my daughter is asking me to go to the toilet, I'll be, I'll be not loving it. But I'm loving the <laughs> idea that I can introduce my daughter to the cinema because I can remember back in the 80s when, and I used to live in a, a little village, um, I, I clearly remember... Um, having my mind blown when my mum took me to the cinema on a Sunday night. Nothing ever happened on a Sunday in the guy at household. Nothing. Like there were no shops or anything or any real signs of existence in the village. But the fact that we went out on a Sunday night and went to the cinema and saw all kinds of films in the 80s, like Ghostbusters and all sorts of stuff. I, I really hope I can have that kind of relationship with my daughter where if she wants to go and see a film or if I want to see something and she's dragged along you know that we'll have a really good time doing it and I'm hoping the first time I've ever said these words I'm hoping Paw Patrol starts a really long relationship for my daughter with film. <laughs> yeah, well um, I think you're yeah, I'm glad you said uh, your daughter. And, uh, Not me. <laughs> I, think, I think on on that note, um, let's dive into the into the uh, questions. And I, I I do sincerely hope that Paw Patrol does not feature on any of your answers. I, I uh, hope or... it doesn't, because my credibility <laughs> with you will probably be wiped out in seconds. <laughs> let's go in with the big one. What is your favourite film of all time? You know what? When you asked me this, I was like, oh, geez, I can't, I can't even. Um... 
it's it, it changes so often and i've also got this slight fear that i've given you an answer that's going to be different to what i tell you now because film change my favorite films change whenever i get asked but for me and i'm a i'm a child of a certain age and i remember a lot of 80s films but the film that always has meant something to me is 2001 a space odyssey i don't even i don't even know why it started meaning something to me but i remember the first time i saw it i kind of realized it was of a period of time and it was a different sort of space film to star wars and all the stuff i had seen before and then i started reading about all the different levels you could interpret the film on and the whole story about the production of it and some of the kind of future gazing the video calling and all of the kind of stuff that happens in the film so for me that is the film and i i studied it i did um english at university god moons millions of moons ago now but that's i actually did my dissertation around that and blade runner because they were just two films that at the time it was the emerging sort of start of the internet so many people were writing completely differing views and differing interpretations and that's one of the things i love about film i love a brainless movie but i also love a movie that you can discuss on multiple levels though uh, so blade runner 2001 and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that's another film that really <laughs> sticks in my brain and and they i kind of alternate between those three as what what is my favorite film of all time at, at that particular moment yeah i think eternal sunshine is definitely the outlier of those three but i i, I get 2001 absolutely i i think that certainly if you were a certain age and you were just sort of really starting to be kind of impacted and kind of affected by by films uh, i i absolutely get how 2001 coming at the right time and seeing it in the right way would have just blown your mind and yeah. i think as you say it's it's a space movie that well it, it it's a stanley kubrick film so yeah it's a space movie but it's not gonna be your your run-of-the-mill space film certainly not that you would have expected at the time that that come out i imagine no, I, I think it would have blown a lot of people's minds and it was out before, you know, I keep talking myself into being an old git, but it was out significantly before uh, before I was born. That's one film that really, really does come to life in quite a glorious way in the uh, 4K restoration that's available on the um, Ultra HD disc. We can also stream it in 4K on um, a variety of the platforms. But there's, the, the thing I really love about that film is I, I think it might have helped influence my pursuit and love of technology, how the um, sentient AI, uh, all of the other kind of threads and elements of technology that pitch through that film. And yeah, it's, there's, some, there's something about it. And I've always been a fan of Kubrick, but that was when Kubrick was really strong. Mm -hmm. uh, Full Metal Jacket was another one I really loved. But then I went and saw Eyes Wide Shut. And I, I'm sorry, but 25 years on or 20 years on, that is a crap film. It is not. <laughs> even though it's Kubrick and everybody loves it, I remember going to see it um, and thinking, there's a lot of sex in this film, but there's not a lot of anything else. And I rewatched it recently and my decision remained the same. It wasn't Stanley Kubrick at his peak powers, sadly. Mm. So I have a question because a lot of the films that you're mentioning are... Uh, there's, a, there's a, a running thing that they're all quite visually striking and you said yourself, you know, you're all for the visuals um, yeah. uh, more so than the sound. So you could get like a, a ultra 4K DVD, but are you really going to get a top experience visually if you have, say, a crappy TV? So I guess my question is, to, to, to improve the viewing experience at home, 
Do you need a good TV? Do you just need the best quality DVD? Or do you just need both? I'll give you a secret. Lighting in your room is the best thing you really? can actually do to improve your viewing experience. Um, make sure you're in a really good sort of really good position to view the screen and your room's not too bright. You know, maybe your lights are dim or you've got the curtains closed. Also, another interesting useful, useful piece of information. Lots of people sort of go, oh, yeah, I've got 4K. And then I say, oh, what size TV have you got? And they're like, I've got a 32-inch telly. <laughs> and I'm like, that isn't really going to cut mustard either. I think the bigger quality image you go, if you're using an ultra HD source, the, the, the better it is and the more reason it is for doing it. But depending how you've got it set up and configured, you can get great results out of just standard DVDs. It's like, mm. but for me, I think it's a, a more like, I'm a real detail man when it comes to film and I love looking at like, I'll watch films several times just to see what's going on that I'm not supposed to be looking at, the stuff that mm. I'm not supposed to be drawn to. Um, and that's something you can do expertly in, in 4K. And um, that's the irony of the whole situation. I reckon I've got films in my collection that I've probably got in everything from VHS to LaserDisc. <laughs> I, I've probably got five or six formats of some films. Yeah. What, watching a film in Ultra HD, the detail really comes alive and it brings a, a strange feeling of freshness to a lot of films, apart from Lethal Weapon, which looks like an episode of EastEnders. And that's never, I've never understood. <laughs> understood quite how that's happened but in ultra hd it looks awful and i've no it must be something to do with how they restored it but that's the only film that i've looked at and said this looks worse in higher higher resolution well on the subject of bad films what is your least favorite film of all time I can't actually remember what I told you in in, in <laughs> we, sorry to ruin the um ruin, oh no I do remember I do remember because it's the only film I've ever actually never finished watching and I remember the night quite clearly a good friend of mine and I went to see Batman and Robin having loved all of the Batman films to that point so that must have been the fourth yeah the fourth Batman film in that sort of run and as the world's biggest fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger even Arnie couldn't save that film and I just remember it jarring really badly with me even though I love the kind of camp Batman from the 1960s, the, the, the TV series, it just smelt really off. Like mm. George Clooney wasn't a good Batman. Uh, the story wasn't good. It was cheesy. It didn't feel as... Because um, I remember how, even though I was only like 11 or 12 at the time, that Batman, the Burton film, was just game-changing in how it mm. sort of appeared and the story and the development of characters. And I just remember seeing Batman and Robin and we left, I think we left to go to a six-form party. That's how old I was when that was <laughs> happening. But it was just like, it was really naff. And I just remember, I've, I've still never gone back to it, even though I randomly quote lines from Mr. Freeze, uh, Arnie's character, to, to my friends in, in, in various chats and if we're online gaming. I've never gone back and watched it because I was just hugely disappointed with it. Yeah, I think uh, Batman and Robin was uh, at the point at which the Batman franchise really seemed to lose its way. And I think when they were making that film, they, they I imagine all the execs got in a room and just thought, OK, who are the biggest names right now that we yeah. can cast in this film? Let's get Clooney. Let's get, was it Alicia Silverstone? Yeah. Uh, let's get Schwarzenegger. And it just didn't really gel, did it? And then they, they tried to, to get the kind of campness of the, the uh, original Batman and... 
it didn't click. Liam, you've hit the nail on the head in that they looked, they all sat in a room and said, hey, we've got George Clooney, we got Arnie, we've got Alicia, like we've got a hit on our hands here. Mm. But no, no matter, actors do not make, do not necessarily make a, a great piece. And I just remember like there's there's some really crap films that have got redeeming features for me. Like I know lots of films that get absolutely slated. I'll sit there and go, actually, I can sit and watch a Steven Seagal movie if I'm in the right frame of mind. But nothing, I, I, I don't think I've even ever, randomly, I don't think I've even ever bought it. I've got lots of films on my shelves I keep meaning to watch. I don't think I've got a copy of Batman and Robin anywhere in the cupboards. Mm, yeah, I think um, it's it's definitely the the weak link in the Batman series, and I think Definitely. that would be quite a, quite a popular opinion. Uh, I do think, though, that the only saving grace of that film is just how 90s it is. I think it's it everything about it just screams 90s to me, and I, I do kind of like that. Got a, a touch of nostalgia um, to yeah, me. But, uh, you, you are very true in the bits I've randomly seen, normally on German TV if I'm working in Germany, <laughs> bizarrely. Um, it, it does have that sort of very like you can instantly tell that the kit the, the TV the Batman TV series is a 60s thing. You can mm. definitely tell that film is a 90s movie. Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting that you say that. I hadn't really considered that, but you're completely right. Yeah, but uh, a top contender for worst film uh, of all time, uh, or, or certainly least favorite. Worst film maybe is a bit of an injustice, but uh, uh, okay. So if you were to make a biopic of your own life. What genre would it be and who would you I, cast? I jokingly said in my message to you, crime. I don't know really. It feels <laughs> weird talking it, it feels weird talking about yourself. Um I don't know. No, because like I'd feel really bad if somebody comes on and says, Oh, mine's gonna be comedy because I'm really crazy. I'm zany. That would be a bit embarrassing. But I don't know. No, I this is actually probably the hardest question I've ever been asked in my professional career <laughs> because any answer I can think of is a bit naff. I don't know. I don't know. Um, my life's not interesting. I don't think my life's interesting enough to be a film. Oh, dear. You're not the first person to say that. I find it surprising. A lot of people are very negative about the, the dramatisation of themselves. Yeah, I don't think anybody will be queuing up to see the film about Will Guy. I've got to be, I've got to be brutally honest. I don't even think my, my partner and daughter would be if it, if it, came, if it, if it came to the screens. I was sort of thinking, um, who, who would I cast in such a film and then i thought the bloke who played tony soprano was pretty cool oh, um, james gandolfini james gandolfini but Great choice. i don't think gandolfini a is dead and b i don't necessarily think he could do a uh he could do a run at my accent but maybe he could because he was an incredible actor so yeah i don't know um i'd say crime but in case the police or authorities are listening i've, I've never really done anything to break the rules i promise i, I think though if you're going down the crime route then james gandolfini proven in that genre okay we'll look over the fact that he's dead but i think great casting absolutely great Love now, that. breaking breaking the the uh, sequence of your podcast i am mm. supremely excited about the new sopranos prequel film that's coming yes. out and they've got tony soprano being played by gandalfini's son now yes. that having seen the trailer to it is the type of film I'm ready for right now. I'm a. I'm, if I had a favourite genre, it's crime. I don't think there's one particular film in that genre that's my favourite. But give me a good crime movie any day, <laughs> and I'm I'm you know the Irishman, whilst was massively anticlimactic in certain ways because they're all about 110, and it just wasn't convincing seeing 
um, a digitally uh, de-aged uh, Robert De Niro, I, there was still something wonderful about spending four hours in the companies of some actors you know will probably never work together again. Absolutely. I, I do enjoy a good crime film. It's not my go-to, but so it, it has to be top-notch. But uh, there's, there's definitely something to be said for, for when they get it right. I yeah, think the only, the only thing that puts me off of the Sopranos prequel is I just find it a bit gimmicky that they get his son to play him. And his son might be a great actor. It might really work. It just it might just work. But it just kind of immediately puts me off a little bit. Now, if this had been launched six, seven, eight years ago, I'd be with you in saying this is a total gimmick. What are they doing here? But they have waited long enough. Um, Gandolfini's corpse will be cool by the time the film comes out. It doesn't feel like an unnecessary reboot. We're not seeing some actors who were pretty old at the time Sopranos came out looking even older and less convincing as crime overlords. They're going in a, a different direction with it. Hmm. Um, I'm also I'm keen to see... I'm keen to see where it goes. I'm also really pleased that the creator didn't go down the route of doing a series for streaming or something. He's pinned yeah. the flag to the mast on doing a film, doing like a two hour film or something. I think that's a really good thing. I'm pretty confident if it's a success in whatever way they interpret it, there'll be some kind of follow up series. But I'm pleased that this sort of existing in a, in a movie world rather than, and don't get me wrong, there's been some incredible stuff on streaming over the last few years um you know stuff like loki and some of the marvel bits and pieces and the mandalorian and all these kind of bits of streaming but i'm pleased they've gone the other the other way with it i don't even know the name of it i might have to google it whilst we're chatting because i can't remember the name of this new sopranos prequel but i it, just mm. from what i've seen it's called the many saints of newark if you haven't seen the trailer do check it out because if you like the sopranos or you like crime films it looks like a winner yeah and i think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to that a lot i've got the sopranos box set myself and i, I think it deserves a rewatch before the the prequel comes out um, you better get started because if you watch even if you're watching there's quite a few episodes in that sopranos true. box set yeah it's a hell of a binge yeah so the next question i wanted to ask uh, which film or tv character do you most relate to <laughs> robocop i don't know why <laughs> i don't know why i think um there's something I really, something about 80s, you sort of see the recurring theme of 80s action and and in my kind of repertoire of stuff I like. There's something really interesting about Robocop in that I remember at primary school, somebody lent me a VHS of Robocop, which probably wasn't the type of film I'll be recommending to my daughter um, when, when she's at primary school. But there's something, I, re I don't know what it is. I really like the character. I like the... I don't know. I like I like Robocop as a character. I like uh, there's something Frankenstein-y about it, and I just like it <laughs> yeah. as a uh, I like it as a story. They've really messed up pretty much every appearance of Robocop since the Korean fried chicken advert. Um, <laughs> Robocop, the Robo and I urge you to YouTube it if you've never seen it uh, in the in the uh, in the mid '90s. No, Robocop hasn't done anything good since then, but it's the kind of character that you keep thinking like the Predator. He's got to come back in or, or Aliens. It's going to have to come back in something decent soon because it's such an iconic character. But nobody yeah. seems to know what what good type of film to make with the character. Yeah, and I'm going to drop a link to that video if I can if I can 
find it. I'll, on, I'll on try. The, um, it's, show worth, notes. it's worth looking because Ro- Robocop is a regular in lots of foreign um, foreign TV adverts, but the Korean chicken one is is almost as good as um, Donald Trump advertising the Trump steaks. They're the greatest <laughs> steaks you've ever tasted, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, I'll, I'll uh, watch out for the uh, Korean Robocop chicken advert in the show notes. <laughs> and uh, um, I've got to say, as far as relatable characters go, we've had uh, we've had Friends, we've had British comedies, uh, we've never had Cyborg Vigilante before. So, uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> but, but Robocop, say- Robocop has directives. Robocop is quite principled because he's been um, programmed by the the people at OCP and he's following a set of instructions. And I guess a part of my life is following a set of instructions. But then on the other side of it, yeah, Robocop as the sort of ultimate figure of uh, the American 80s is something that really appeals to me. I don't know why. Maybe it's a strange thing. I'm there. I've never, I've never really questioned. Since you asked me these, I'm sort of really deeply questioning some of my decisions on what films I like. And, and you're responsible for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, so I guess in keeping with our, our very 80s theme uh, in this episode, uh, what is your most nostalgic film? Yeah, I, I've got... I, this is also another one that varies. Um, if I've got a bad case of the flu, it probably... There's always films I, I gravitate to when I'm, I'm, not feeling, I'm not feeling so well. I think Commando just sticks in my mind because it's another of those random VHSs that was available jeff connor's older brother had the vhs of that and one holiday probably late 80s i just remember seeing that film and like being really impressed with all the weapons and the muscles and killing the henchman and ripping the seat out of the car and all of the kind of things you get in a film like that and there is something i I have to say i really love watching a film that i can just let flow over me like washes over me like you don't really have to engage with it and that is a really good example of a film that licks along at some pace yes it's 80s yes it's dated yes it's cheesy yes it's arnie but it reminds me of uh, a period of my time when all the big releases were on cbs video in the big big video vhs cases that 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 um my friend's older brother would rent and we would watch at his house and you know it's, it's a period of it's about sort of emoting a feeling in a period of time more than anything else yeah and i i completely get that uh, i think i'm i'm perhaps a bit too young to find nostalgia in commando but i do remember specifically uh, it was a university screening uh, of commando I, I i cannot tell you why that was chosen to be a screening on that particular week but it was and we've watched a lot of stuff during that semester because I did film studies. So we, we did a lot of screenings every week, uh, quite a few comedies within that. Nothing elicited quite as much laughter, though, as the opening montage in Commando, uh, which <laughs> well, watching it sort of 25 years later is probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. And um, Commando is one of those sorts of films that, can be watched in group situations actually make make it more enjoyable because it's just cheesy and you have to wonder if when it was filmed they knew it was hokey and it was cheesy because arnie's got all the kind of iconic arnie pun liners um yeah uh, you know you've got big explosions m- men flexing muscles 
typical 80s portrayal portrayal of female characters not that i'm saying that's acceptable i'm just saying it is archetypical of the 80s and it's a film of a particular period of time but i have to say it's also one film that i've always looked at and gone i can't believe you nobody's tried to remake it with like uh, <laughs> dwayne johnson the rock or vin diesel or you know maybe yeah. even try and like a, sort of a, a reimagining with like ryan reynolds or something i'm just surprised nobody has done i'm surprised nobody's done it yet i think you could probably say that about every single arnie film why have they not remade yeah. that with the rock Wow. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think that may have been that may have been the plan at one point with the rock <laughs> till people realised he was potentially bigger than that. But yeah. you know, there was I can't remember what film it was where Arnie Arnie appears and meets the rock in a club in a film, and there's like this handover. There, this was, it was portrayed as the, as the Hollywood handover of power at the time, and it certainly didn't do the rock uh, didn't do the rock any any harm. He's made a good career out of. Uh, life after wrestling you know hulk hogan was there before making films but but dwayne johnson's the real deal yeah and um maybe one day he'll be governor of california or even president <laughs> who, who knows who, who knows, knows? He, could, he could be the president that would be amazing <laughs> final question for you what is your guilty pleasure I've got so many film guilty pleasures. <laughs> You've covered a few already, I feel like. Yeah, I think most of my viewing is uh, guilty pleasures. I, I watch, I don't watch as many films these days as I should do, but I try and, there's like certain directors that I'll just consume everything they do. But guilt, guilty pleasures, I, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Guy Ritchie films. Uh, Lockstock, I just remember seeing a random trailer for that and then going to see it like two or three nights afterwards it because Lockstock actually launched with little or no publicity there was a little bit like ex-footballer Vinnie Jones is playing a gangster but we caught it really early uh, before it got popular on DVD and stuff a good friend and I did and um, Lockstock and Snatch um, the film which has the privilege of Brad Pitt pretending to be an Irish gypsy um, with largely unintelligible accent, uh, which is a good thing because I don't think Brad Pitt can do accents particularly well. But it's just a, that's also a wonderful film of its period. Um, some fantastic acting, some great classic actors from both sides of the pond in that. I've also got a soft spot for the Dirty Harry films. And the weirdest thing about the Dirty Harry film was it, it was the first film that made me really get interested in San Francisco and California because it was all filmed and based in California and then got to go and work in California and spent several years of my life working in, um, I uh, spent some time in New York, but spent a lot of time in San Francisco. And it was my love of that film. And then I actually went to pretty much all of the places that still existed because <laughs> that was filmed in like 1969, 1970. Yeah. And, um, you know, my first trip there was in the early 2000s. But I went and sort of saw all the places that still existed. Um, and then um, I've got a real soft spot for the Predator. Um, it's just a, it's my default film if I'm ever on my own or have time to kill or uh, need to cheer myself up and um, bizarrely um, I got to know the bloke who played the predator in Aliens versus Predator really well um, when I was working on Total Film magazine and um, SFX science fiction magazine we used to do a lot of live events so I got to meet this guy who was an ex-basketball player called Ian White um, he's played all sorts of people over the years he's been in Harry Potter uh, all sorts of other stuff. He's about seven foot something tall. He played the, um, are they called the scientists? The, the characters at the start of Prometheus was one of his most recent films that he was in, the big the big tall, white, sort of white-bodied guys. But, but I got to meet him, and um, when I realised he was the Predator, I was like, I actually know the Predator. This is really cool. <laughs> 
because there's something about the Predator is just um that's another just classic film. It's really it shouldn't stand out. It shouldn't be special, but there is just something iconic about that film. And I also love the fact that uh, Jean Claude Van Damme was meant to be the Predator, so they decided that the special effects looked naff and he was too small. And that's when they changed it to what the Predator is today, rather than a short little guy looking much like Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I think that was probably for the best. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think there's a few films uh, we can definitely unpack a lot more uh, if we had more time. But I've got a couple of quick fire follow-ups for you. Sure. Uh, firstly, who would win between Alien and Predator, ignoring the film? It should be quick fire. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It depends on the day and it depends who's tooled up. I think, and it depends what kind of breed of alien we're talking about here as well, Liam. Let's get real. Is it, where's this alien, where's the alien gestated from? There are many sub-questions to your question. I, I feel like we need to take this onto uh, some form of poll online. So I feel like we need to, <laughs> we need to pause this and, and have this conversation with the wider masses and just see what kind of... Kind yeah, of who, who's going to win, there. Predator versus Alien, Batman? Yeah, and also I'm really curious because you're a, you're a bit of a Guy Ritchie fan. Um, I, I, was, I was always quite curious as to the, the potential crossover when he did Aladdin because that was so like out of you know, sync with his, with his other work. Did you like the Aladdin remake or was is that just exclusively Disney fans that like that? I've never seen it, but now you've prompted me, I must go and see it. But Guy Ritchie is best when he is doing fast-moving crime films. I was a fan of Rock and Roller. I don't think many other people were. And I loved The Gentleman. If you haven't seen that recently, it's around on all the streaming services. Hugh mm. Grant is, is incredible in that film. And that is also a phrase I thought I'd never be saying on a on a film yeah, well, podcast. And I have to say, there's some great choices there. And uh, I feel like we're going to need to get you back for a sequel at some point because there's, there's a lot of food for thought. And uh, I, I feel like we're only uh, touched the surface of the conversation we could have about film on this show. But it's been great uh, chatting to you about it. Some, some very different choices versus the other people we've had on so far. I feel I feel like I should go and watch some serious art house stuff in preparation <laughs> for our next conversation about film. Film film's personal for everybody, Liam. That's what I love. And I don't care if my film selections are dumb and loud and inconsiderate and eighties and you know, not necessarily particularly PC some of them now, but they were of their time and I love them. Do you know what? We 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 definitely get a theme with every guest. Uh we've kind of had the horror thing done. Uh, we've, Ooh, we've had the kind of rom-com thing done and now we've, we've very much ticked off the 80s movies <laughs> 80s crime and action I think is yeah. definitely your bag we figured out big, big, big uh, Uzis and big piles of drugs and that's <laughs> not my weekends yeah beginning to realise now why your biography would be a crime <laughs> but uh, it's, been, it's been great chatting with you um, before we let you go uh, if people wanted to connect with you where can they find you? Uh, witness protection um, no, uh, so you can find me uh, well I work for LBC the radio station um, you find me talking about technology there uh, online you'll find me at Will Guyatt on Twitter and Instagram uh, those are the two places where I post stuff and uh, you'll see me writing in all kinds of places online but if you want to follow me yeah you'll often see me talking about films I use my own unique golden Wilmot sliding scale five golden Wilmots is the best film ever one golden Wilmot is not a great film so you can find my my film reviews on my Twitter excellent thank you very much Will it has been a pleasure and uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime I hope so
That's it for this week of the Friday Film Club. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can rate and review us on all good podcast platforms. Also, uh, do reach out to us on social media at the Fry Film Club on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to be a guest in a future episode, do drop us a message on social media or email liam at hefcorp.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the first season of the Friday Film Club. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, We are busy planning for season two, and that's going to be coming early next year. So do keep your ears out for that. We're lining up some great guests. And uh, of course, if you've got any feedback, do let us know. Uh, We want you to enjoy what you hear. Uh, And also uh, remember before season two starts to tell everyone about the show. Follow us on social at the Fry Film Club and leave a review and a rating uh, so others can find us as well. Uh, That would be great. Enjoy your Christmas and your New Year, and we will see you on the other side.